been so good to, to see each one of your faces. This morning, it seems like every single Sunday, Greg, I don't know about you, but every single Sunday you look out and you see more faces. Yeah. Amen. And it's such a uh, wonderful opportunity to have. And you're going to do something about that, right, son? Okay. That's... I don't know how it sounds to you all, but it sounds like it's really hot up here. So uh, hopefully Eli will get that taken care of. I appreciate you being here. This morning, I hope you have a Bible with you or a Bible with something with you. But we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. So 1 Peter chapter 2. And also when you came in, hopefully you got a copy of the bulletin or the worship guide. On the back of that, there'll be some notes. If you want to use that during our time together in the Word, they'll be behind me up on the screen. But uh, here in 1 Peter chapter 2, then also... Those notes, if you want to follow along or if you want to use that like some of these young people to doodle on or draw on or to pass notes on, they don't think I can know, they don't think I know that it's going on. But that, anyways, I, I hope that mainly it's just the, the young people that do that. But those notes on the back of that, if you want to use that, and we're going to be in First Peter chapter 2. I realize that not all of you were alive back in 1994. It seems like just a moment ago, but in 1994, there was a singer, a country western singer by the name of Joe Diffie, and he released a song that was not just the song, but it was also the title of his album called Third Rock from the Sun. And in the, the song entitled Third Rock from the Sun, there was, a, there was a chorus that he sang, and it went like this, cause and effect, chain of events, all of the chaos makes perfect sense. When you're spinning round, things come undone. Welcome to earth, third rock from the sun. Now some of you will have that song stuck in your head. Some of you may need to go home and search that song. But I remember when that song came out and it took everybody by storm. And that song was very popular. It seemed like they just played that thing over and over and over again. But if you look back to the lyrics and what he's trying to say, he, he's trying to explain some of the pandemonium, some of the chaos that's happening around us. And he's saying when you have an earth and it's spinning around like it is, no wonder why things seem to be coming apart. It doesn't seem like a week goes by without somebody asking, can it get any worse? Can it seem like it can devolve anymore? We see the morality at an all-time low. We see liberalism at an all-time high. We see the lack of common sense and the lack of common courtesy to other people at an all-time low. And we look around, whether it is government or whether it is a virus or whether it is an opinion or whether it is something locally, we look around and we say, can it get any worse? Can it get any crazier? And I think if Joe Diffie was still alive, he would say, what do you expect? This world world is spinning and it is coming undone. The problem with Joe Diffie's remarks is the Bible. See, the Bible does not teach us that this world is just becoming a whole string of chaos absent some type of hope or help. But the Bible teaches us that we living today, we do not have to be disheveled or be dismayed by the affairs of the world, whether they be government, whether they be virus, whether they be anywhere in your life, the troubles, the affairs that you're dealing with. He says, no matter what the situation is around us, we can have hope because we have a Savior. Because we have a Jesus Christ and so so no matter what takes place on a daily basis, we can have hope, we can have smiles, we can have encouragement because we know in the end, Jesus wins. And because we're followers of Jesus Christ, that means in the end, we win when he wins. So it doesn't matter looking around and going, oh my goodness, everything is just going to crap. 
crazy. Everything is just going to seed. Everything is just terrible. Oh my. I'm not saying we have to be ignorant. I'm not saying we have to be oblivious. But brothers and sisters, we do not have to be pessimistic. Because we know for those who are in Christ, we win in the end. Well, that's what Peter is talking about here in this whole letter of 1 Peter. He's writing to a church, and he's writing to a church that is struggling. They are struggling with their identity. They are struggling with their perseverance. They're struggling with their faithfulness. They're struggling with their obedience to Jesus Christ. They're struggling because they're in the midst of a world that is pulling them in a thousand different directions. They're having all of these competing religious and theological ideas thrown at them. They're being a people that are under pressure to conform to the world's standards around them. They're being pressured to compromise. They're being pressured to capitulate. They're being pressured to buy in and assimilate with the culture around them. And Peter is writing to them to say, you are different people. And church, I think we need to remind ourselves on a regular basis that we are different people. I'm not saying that we are better people. I'm not saying that we are arrogant people. I'm not saying that we are prideful people. I'm not saying that we are snobbish people. But I'm telling you, we are different people. And so when I come to this text in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 4, and we're going to read down through verse 8 to our time together this morning. But when I see or read what Peter is saying, the, the impression that I get on what Peter is saying, what Peter is saying to me is, is Spence, remember... That the local church, and I put this at the top of your notes, the local church should be the center of gravity in the local community. And I realize that some of you may see that and you're like, where'd you get that from? I hopefully explain it and show it to you in the preceding, uh, ver- in, the, in, the, in the verses to come. But what I think that Peter is trying to remind us as a church is that the local church should be the center of gravity in the local community. Now we realize based upon Ephesians chapter 5 that the church, the center of gravity in the church should be Jesus Christ. But when it comes to the community around us, the church should be the center of gravity within the community. What do you mean, Spence? I mean that everything that happens around us should start here. The health and the prosperity and the perseverance of our marriages starts being based upon the word of God. And that is taught, and that is discipled, and that is trained in the church. The health of our families, the demonstration, the witness of our families, it starts here in church where the truth is proclaimed and fellowship is had and peoples and families are built up. The influence that we have in the community is based upon people coming together and understanding that Christ died for the church and so therefore we should sacrifice our lives for the sake of the church and the mission of the church. I realize we're living in a day and age that this is all about consumerism. What makes me happy? Church hopping, church jumping, people go from one place to another. We're coming just to see if Spence will say something we don't like because if he does, then we'll go someplace else the next week. And I'm telling you, I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Rather, what I see is Peter's coming to a people and saying, you are set to be a different people. How are we a different people? We are different people by the purposes for which we are living. So that's what Peter did in 1 Peter chapter 1. He talked about their salvation and their identity in Christ. And he talks about you're different because of who you are in Christ. Then 
Last Sunday, the first two or three verses, he talks about that we're a different people by our behavior. We're a different people by how we behave with one another, how we behave with the public around us. People look at us and go, you're kind of acting kind of weird. No, I'm not acting kind of weird. I'm kind of acting biblical. At least that's what I'm trying to act. And we're living in a day and age that biblical is considered to be odd. Biblical is considered to be weird. That, that, that is not common these days. And this Sunday, he's going to come in. He's going to say that, remember, when you come into church, you're coming in here for a different purpose. But the world will know that we are in Christ because we are living and doing things for a different reason. Now, Lewiston says in verse 4, I'm going to read down, I'm going to read 4 through 8, <coughs> excuse me, just for the sake of context. And let's back up and look. Because I think Paul, I think, I think Peter is, is showing us that when you come to church, you're coming for one or two purposes. And I want to lovingly and kindly challenge you with this idea that when you came to church this morning, you're coming for one or two purposes. Let's just ask ourselves, why did we come to church today? So 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, this is what Peter writes. He says, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So... The honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. I pray that God adds understanding and application to his word this morning. Peter comes into this passage and he's talking to the church. He's talking to the church about a difference they should have compared to the world. He talked about their difference in their behavior. I submit to you this morning, he's going to talk about the difference of their purpose. And here in this text, he lays out two different purposes that people have for coming to church. The first one he alludes to there in verse 4 by saying that some are coming to church as a living stone building up the church. Where do you get that from? Go back to verse 5 and he says, you yourselves like like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. In other words, what he's saying is, is that there are saved men and women that they are coming to church and they are coming to church presenting themselves to God saying, God, use me to advance the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2 reminds our chapter chapter 2 and verse 20 and 21 reminds us Paul is writing to Timothy and says within a house there are some vessels that are fit for use and some vessels that are not fit for use make sure you're the kind of person that God can use for the work that God is desiring to do so Peter is following that theme and saying do you come to church with the attitude God I want you to use me to advance your kingdom. That's a radical thought. You may say, well, that's not that radical of a thought. It is a radical thought because we have a lot of people that are coming to church today doing this. They're not coming to church and doing this. They're coming to church and they're doing this. 
It's all about what I get. It's all about, is Greg wearing skinny jeans? Do they have a fog machine? Do they have the lights? Do they dim the lights? Does Spence come out and he only speaks for a maximum of 35 minutes? Is it relative in my life? Does he communicate to me? Did everybody speak nicely to me? Did I get in and out? Does the parking good? Is the temperature right? Is the lighting good? Is the seating good? All of that stuff is me, 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 me. And Peter says, that's not why we come to church. That's not, we get, that's not why we get involved with the local body of believers. It's not for what I get out of it. It's because I am coming, presenting myself, saying, God, use me. Notice back up in verse 4, he says, as you come to him. He says there's a, a certain element of coming and submitting ourselves to God. He said, so you come because you realize that you have been chosen by God. The attitude that you come to church and you realize that you know what, you're here and I'm glad you're here, but God chose you. That is why we come to church because I have been chosen by God. I have been set apart by God. I am coming to church to be used individually for the sake of the whole body. That's what he's getting at there in verse 5 when he says that you are being built up as a spiritual house. He's reminding them that church, when we come together, we're here for one another. I don't know about you, but sometimes there's good days and bad days. There's some days that I need to be encouraged. And then there's some days that you need to be encouraged. And there's some times that we come in and that, yeah, we have the how you doing, fine, 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 fine. We just bounce it back and forth. But the reality is, it's there's days that you're coming in that you need someone to be friendly. You need someone to encourage you and it goes back and forth. And so when we come together, we are here to build one another up. We're here to encourage one another. We're here to present ourselves to God saying, God, today I want to be a living stone used to build your church. I want to be used by God to build up the church. That's why he says there in verse 5, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. He is saying that you can have this purpose in your life. I'm going to get up and go to church today because God, I want God to use me for the sake of his kingdom. That's why I do what I do. We have too many people today, too many people in this community, too many people in this culture, too many people in this world that say it should all be about you. Yes, it should be about you. It should be about you serving others around you. And we miss that. We miss that element of what it means to be born again. What it means to be a part of the family of God. What it means to be set apart for the work by which God has called us. It is not just so this all becomes about you. It's so that you can be focused on other people. And you notice there he is saying, there back in verse 5, he says we are being built. I want to remind you this morning that there's a difference between being the builder and being built. Being the builder is not the same as being built. There are a lot, of, a lot of times today we get tempted to think, well, I am going to come up with my new idea. I'm going to try to reinvent the wheel. And we see ministries and we see churches doing this from time to time. They will try to reinvent. They will try to do something new. And there may be some excitement. And there may be some interest. There may be a certain amount of following that takes place. The reality is that this church is not designed for Greg's ideas or my ideas or other leaders in the church's ideas or Sunday school teachers' ideas. This church design is designed to glorify God. 
and to bring glory to God. And so those of us that serve in leadership, we are coming not to serve our own ideas or preferences or desires. We are coming because we want to be that conduit by which people serve God and serve other people. It's that idea that comes in that we understand that we are not doing the building. We are a body of believers being built by God. You know, but in order to be built by God, we have to come say, God, put me where you want me. (laughs) And you know, not all the time we want to be put where God wants us. We show up for church and go, you know what, I want that job. What if God doesn't want you to have that job? Well, I don't want that job that they're asking me to do. But what if God wants you to have that job? See, there's a big difference when we show up, as the text tells us, you come to him. This is back in verse 4. You come to him who is a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, and you yourselves are being built. That means you come to God and say, God, I am showing up for service today. Where do you want me? I don't want to speak out of turn, but the other day, Van asked me a question. He said, Spence, have you ever served in a church that has seen the kind of expansion as we have seen in the last six to nine months? And I said, no. He said, have you ever served in a church that's had average Sunday morning attendance numbers like we've been having? And I said, no. And I don't know if that was encouraging to him or more concerning to him, the fact that, you know, there's a certain amount of new territory for all of us. The reality is we can look around and we can see new faces and we can see new people and we can look around and say, oh man, just, just, just wait till we get them plugged in here and just wait till they get involved there. Or, or some of you that are coming and you go, you know what, I, I, I'd be willing to get involved in the life of the church if I could do this or if I could do that. And I want to warn you and I want to encourage you that both attitudes are wrong. The attitude should be, where does God want us? Amen. Where does God want you? Where does God want me? Where does God want us? Because you know what? God has a greater understanding. He has a greater picture. He has a greater design than we could ever come up with. He has a greater vision and a purpose for this church than we could ever imagine. So it's not a matter of you coming in saying, I want this job, or you coming in and and I saying, I want you to build that job. The idea is that we come in, we present ourselves to God saying, God, I am here to propel and to move the church forward in Wellston, Oklahoma. And I want to come here and present myself. God, use me. And brothers and sisters, what kind of a purpose would that be to show up every single time and to say, here I am. I'm here to be used by God. (coughs) He reminds us there in verse 6. He quotes, and some of your Bibles will have a footnote there, something to point you back to. But he's quoting, uh, Peter's quoting from Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. He's reminding them that, that long ago, back during the prophet Isaiah, that God, through the prophet Isaiah, said, I am sending my son, Jesus Christ. He is going to be the cornerstone. Everything else is going to be built upon him. So if we do not center what we do here in the church, on the life and the identity, and the personality of Jesus Christ we begin to center ourselves on a lot of other things that aren't of Jesus and there's a danger I I, I could go back and I could spend the next 
15-20 minutes telling you about other churches in the United States who their identity became more about a man or more about a speaker or more about a, a person and less about Christ and the implosion that followed. But you know where it starts? It starts with us being centered upon Christ. When we come to church, we're then centered upon Christ. So then we are part of a body that is centered upon Christ. And we are now a people that are building ourselves up, living for a different purpose. So when those outside these walls, they come and they ask us, what are you doing? We said, you know what? We're not here to be seen. We're not here to be heard. We're not here for accolades. We're not here for the incitement or the entertainment. Or we're not here because it's the popular place to be. We are here because we want to be used by God for the work that God is doing. He said, that's one purpose that you can come to church. You come to church saying, I want to be used as a living stone building up the church. But then there's a second purpose. Maybe a negative purpose. They tell you in speaking class not to ever focus on the negative. You always want to put it in the positive sense. And I think that's great. But you know, sometimes life can be negative. (laughs) And I think sometimes we have to recognize this sin can be negative and we need to talk about the reality that we are all dealing with on a regular basis. So he says, you can either come to church with your purpose to be a living stone to build up the church or, and this is the negative, you come to church as a stumbling stone hindering the church. You come to church as a stumbling stone hindering the church. Notice in verse 7, look back to what we already read. It says, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. So he's saying there are people that are coming to church that believe and there are people that are coming to church that don't believe. Now I realize that you may stop right there and you may pull back and you may say, Spence, you're telling me that there's lost people in the church. (laughs) Yes, I am. You mean there's people that come to church day in and day out, week by week by week, that don't have a right relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ? Is that what you're saying, Spence? Yes. Isn't that being judgmental, Spence? No. Why? Because the Bible tells us there will be coming a day that you will have people that will stand before Christ and say, no, 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 I did all these works, I did all these actions, so therefore I'm good. And it tells us in Matthew chapter 25 that Jesus will look at him and say, depart from me, I never knew you. Yes, they had gone through the steps. They knew when to stand up. They knew when to sit down. They knew all the things. People thought because of their actions and because of their movement that they were where they were supposed to be. But God knew, Jesus knew, that their heart was far from them. And so there were people then, and there are people now, They come in, they act the part, they look the part, they talk the part, but the reality is, is they have never lived as Jesus is the Lord of their life. So Peter reminds them, so for those who do not believe, what happens? So those that come to church that do not believe, what happens? For those that engage in the life of the church, what happens? Well, they become a stumbling stone hindering the church. He says there in verse 7, he's quoting again, this time from Psalm 118 and verse 22, he says, the stones that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He's referring to the work of Christ. He's referring to Christ had come, Christ had lived, all of the Jews during that time, the majority, I'm sorry, the majority of the Jews during that time rejected him as the Messiah. They rejected him as the cornerstone. They crucified him, and yet it didn't matter what they did then. It doesn't matter what they're doing now. Christ is still the Savior. In other words, Christ is not defined by your faithfulness. Your faithfulness to God will not determine who Christ is. 
He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. He is the only way to God the Father. He is the means by which we are forgiven of our sins. He is the way that we go to heaven. And it doesn't matter whether I get it right. It doesn't matter whether I get it wrong. That's who Christ is and it is not defined by my, by my faithfulness. So he reminds them. Oh, you can come to church and you can still have your understanding of salvation out of order. You can come to church and still not be worshiping Jesus as Lord. You can come to church and your heart can be far away from Him. You can be coming to church to be seen or to be heard or to be known. You can come to church for the wrong reasons. And when you come to church with the wrong heart, when you come to church with the wrong purpose, when you come to church for the wrong reasons, you are coming to church and you are only putting yourself in a position of hindering the church. You're putting yourself in a position because you are then becoming a possible point of division. We talked about that this morning in our Sunday school class. I don't know how Dave, David does it. <clears throat> the way he gets some of you all to talk. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. I, I think it's masterful and I'm always trying to brag on him. The, the way he is able to elicit conversation and feedback and there has not been a time I've been in the class and it went off the rails. My paranoia is that we go off the rails and the next you know we're doing we're talking about daisies and we're talking about tulips and, and we're talking about railroad tracks and we're talking about butterflies and we're, and we're talking about the weather from three months ago. I mean it seemed like it always derails for me but David has a way of doing it. But in that class this morning we were talking about these idea of these busybodies. Uh, one translation said meddler. Another translation said the gospel. It's these people that come into the church but since the relationship is not right and because their heart is not right, they're not coming as a, a living stone. They're coming as a stumbling stone. And so he tells us there in verse 8 that, uh, that, that, that stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. He's saying when you come and your heart is not right, your life is not right with God, what happens is, is you realize that you are missing the point. You are falling short. How do you know when you have a counterfeit, counterfeit bill? compare it against a real bill. How do you know if you have a straight, uh, a crooked stick? You put it beside the straight stick. How do you know if a plane is level? You measure it against something that is true and something that is straight and something that is level. And so when we come to Christ, we lay our lives up against the model of Christ and we realize that we have fallen short. We realize that we have missed the mark. And when you come as a forgiven follower of Jesus Christ and you come and you lay your life beside Christ and you realize, I have fallen short. But then you know the blood of Jesus Christ has covered that shortness. And that failure and that fault Christ has covered. And because of God's righteousness imparted to Christ, imparted to me, therefore I know that yes, I am crooked. Yes, I fall short. But praise the Lord, Christ has paid it all. The problem is, is when you don't have that kind of assurance and you don't have that kind of awareness and you come and you realize, I can't be like Christ. And you start to think that life is about perfection. That life is about what you do and your works and your deeds of righteousness. But the reality is, is that you and I are only stumbling over those things that sin has put in the way. So he says there in verse 7, that stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For those that are coming with the wrong heart for the wrong purpose, they just find themselves stumbling from life to life to life. And that stumbling often is a sin issue. 
I don't want to submit myself to God. I don't want to submit my life to God. I don't want to be obedient before God. So I'm going to keep stumbling because I'm too lazy to do something about the sin in my life. You get five boys in a house. You will accumulate a certain amount of clutter in the house. Five boys, especially Ezra. Ezra is the best right now in the house. He'll get a toy out, play with it for five seconds, leave that where he left it. Go get another toy, bring it out, play with it for five seconds, leave that where he left it. Go get another toy, play with it for five seconds, and the next thing you know, you have an entire house that is littered with, he calls them toys, I call them trip hazards. Especially if it is in the middle of the night and he is crying out because of something that is going on in his life and I've got to make my way from mother and I's bedroom all the way to his bedroom. If we have all of these landmines littered throughout the place, what happens? Somebody's going to have a bad night and that's not going to be Ezra and that's not going to be the other boys that are in their beds asleep. That's going to be the dad that got up to go take care of it. So what do I do? I tell them, boys, before I put you to bed, you're going to pick all that up. Because <laughs> I don't want to get up in the middle of the night and be walking through the house and stumbling and tripping over all of these things that you left in the way. Now, sometimes we've got to do that with our own lives. We've got to see this sin for what it is, and we've got to see this disobedience for what it is, and we've got to see this bad behavior for what it is, and we've got to see this lack of devotion and commitment to God for what it is, and we've got to see that possession that's keeping us away from living our lives completely given over to God, or we've got to see that hobby, or we've got to see that pastime, or we've got to see that relationship, or we've got to see that activity, or we've got to see that, uh, that, that thing we watch on television, or that thing we listen to on the radio. We've got to see these things for what they are, that those are sins or temptations to sin, and we've got to go through there and get them out. Because all they are doing is causing us stumbling. They're causing us to trip. They're causing us to fall. And so Peter comes in and says, you are a different people. Not only have you been called to come and participate in this thing called church to help build up the body of Christ and advance the kingdom, but you need to know that when you come to church, either you're coming to church to be used by God for building up the church, or you're coming to church potentially hindering the life of the church. Because you're not taking care of those things in your life that are causing you to stumble. You're not taking care of those things in your life that are causing you to wane. They're, you're not taking care of those things in your life that are causing you to not be the influence that God has called you to be. In fact, he said, looked at there in the last part of verse 8, and he says, They stumble because they disobey the Word. I remind you, the Word defines obedience. Not you. Not me. Not culture. Not society, not popular opinion. I realize that we are in a day and age that you think the Supreme Court can define what marriage is. No, they can't. Do you think that a certain government panel can define what creation is? No, they can't. Do you think that we have the authority and the autonomy, autonomy, you know what I'm saying, sovereignty to come in here and define what is right and what is wrong, what is sin and what is not sin? No, we don't. 
Why is there sin in the world? Because people have rebelled against God. And how do we know what defines sin? God's Word. So therefore, the Word defines sin. I do not define sin. You you do not define sin. You know, once upon a time, things were okay. Then they weren't okay. Then they are okay. Then they weren't okay. We've had all these different advancement, progressions, whatever you want to call it, in the way we dress, the way we behave, the things that we do, you know some things have not changed and that's the definition of sin the definition of God's word I've shared with you before that growing up when I was like Eli and Wyatt's and Luke's age my father would never let you wear denim that wasn't colored there was no blue denim allowed on Sunday mornings every Sunday morning if we had denim it was the black denim you know how Wrangler had the different colored denim britches but you never wore blue denim to church ever 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 and you always had a collared shirt on that was tucked in that was my father's rule you get up for Sunday morning church either it's slacks or it's a colored denim beside blue and you have a collared shirt on that's tucked in that was my dad's rules for ever's growing up And if we had a camera right now at Trinity, and we could zoom that thing in, and if he was awake, we could zoom it in. You can tell him I said that. I don't care. He can't ground me. And if we could zoom that thing in, and we're looking down in there, I bet you this morning he's wearing blue denim. Why? Because things change. The blue laws from three or four decades ago that nobody was open on Sundays. Those have changed. The attire of ladies when they come to church has changed. The relationship between children and adults change. Some of these things change. The way we talk change. The way we behave change. The way that we do this life, it changes. But brothers and sisters, there's some things that do not change and it is the Word of God. And what God defines as sin has not changed. And sometimes we come to church and we start looking for churches that define sin right and wrong the way we want to. So we'll go to this church and we go, well, I don't like the way definition they use so we'll go to this church well I don't like the definitions they use so we'll go to that church or we'll find speakers that tickle our ears Paul already wrote to Timothy and said that's going to happen the question is are we willing to come together and submit ourselves to the word of God and I think that if Peter was to write specifically to First Baptist and Wilson today, he would remind us that there are some people that are coming to church not to submit themselves to the Word of God or the authority of God or their lives, but they're coming to church to try to steer the church in the direction they want to go. And so I plead with you, I ask you, I challenge you, why are we coming to church today? Are we coming to church to be a living stone we used by God to build up the church or are we coming to the church to be a stumbling stone hindering the people around us? So how do we choose the right purpose? He, he's talked about in these f- several verses, he's talked about the different reasons why people come to church. What is it that is supposed to set us apart? So how is it that we choose the right purpose? How do we know that we're choosing the right purpose? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. So let me just give you three statements and we'll be done. The first way that I'd encourage you to think about how it is that we know what purpose we're pursuing is that we realize that the kingdom work is not about you. The kingdom work is not about you. We are in this era of life that everything is about you. You, 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 you. No, it's not. (laughs) This is not about self-love. This is not about self-care. This is not about Burger King having it your way. This is about Jesus Christ. 
Christ. This is about Matthew 22, 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and your mind. That is the first great commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't say anywhere in there that you are part of it. Love God. Love other people. This thing called the church, it's not about you. It's about God. It's about us serving Christ and it's about doing what Christ has called us to do. What has he called us to do? He's called us to go and to reach the lost people the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's called us to do. And I plead with you to keep in mind this kingdom work is not about you. Secondly, the church is not centered on humanity. I I tried to get a different word, but I didn't want to use man because that sounds a little bit sexist in today's world. But the reality is the church is not centered around humanity. The church is centered around Christ. You may say, well, I don't like that, Spence. Why should the church be centered around Christ? Well, tell me who is more deserving. Who else is better deserving of that title and of that position? Notice, let me read for you what it says there in Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 23, he says, Christ is the head of the church, his body, as is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also talks about the relationship between husbands and the wives. He's reminding us that this church is to be centered upon Christ. Not to be centered upon social services, not to be centered upon benevolence ministries, not to be centered upon a program, not to be centered upon a personality, not to be centered upon a people group, not to be centered on a certain affinity. This church is to be centered upon Christ, not upon humanity. I think a lot of the disagreements that we would see in the church today would go away when we recognize this thing is not about me, this thing is about Christ. So I come to church not for me. I come to church to be used by Christ. I come to church not for what I get out of it. I come to church because I want to give my life to Christ. He is the Lord of my life and I want to encourage anyone else to live in such a way. Then the final challenge is this. Faulty stones equal faulty buildings. Faulty stones equal faulty buildings. So if we come and we're part of a gathering of people, we're part of a church, and we're a faulty stone, then we're going to be part of a faulty building. And you may say, well, Spencer, you mean it's all on me. No, it's not all on you. It's all on us. And it's our individual responsibility and and opportunity to make sure that when we come to this fellowship and we come to participate in this body believers, we are coming making sure that I am the most faithful stone, the most obedient stone, the most spirit-filled stone, the most clean, useful stone. I am coming saying, God, here I am. Use me to build a great building for your name, for your glory, for the sake of the lost people around us. God, I want to make sure that I am the most presentable stone I can be. That would change a lot of our purposes for coming to church. That would be a reason for us to get out of bed and come to church. That would be a reason for us to come with a smile on our face, an upbeat attitude in our hearts, to come and sacrifice and to serve and to be there when we don't have to be there. 
because we know we're doing it for a purpose other than ourselves. I don't know how many of you have had a chance to meet him, but I have a new superintendent here in the school district, Mike Franz. Really hadn't met him, really hadn't spent a lot of time around him. But we had done the teacher feed. I'd, I'd met with him a couple of times. And he had asked me, he said, Spence, would you be willing to help us out on a, a school route on the morning time? And Mr. Danker and I had tried to get together last year and it just didn't work out. Well, this year it, it seemed like it's going to work out. And so Thursday morning when school started at 6 o'clock, I was down there at the bus barn. And I wasn't the first one there. Mike Franz was already there. And then, come Thursday afternoon, he drove a route and by himself in the heat, windows down, no air conditioning, he drove a route, and I'm thinking, you know, that's just the first day. He's just trying to make a good impression. The second morning, he was there, and we did the route together. Friday afternoon, I went up and I drove the route and he was with me and he said, why don't you drive? I'm going to be back here with the kids. And on a Friday afternoon, when the man has all the right in the world to be back in the office or looking to try to close up the work for the rest of the day, he's back there halfway back in the school bus wrangling kids on a Friday afternoon in the heat and in the and all the, the muck and the mire that you can have when it comes to the children. And he's back there. And I, and I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm here to support the district. And I tell you, I, I, I listened to him say that and I wondered how many people have that same attitude when it comes to church? How many people have that same perspective when it comes to church? And it's not about me. It's not about my appearances. It's not about what I get out of it. It's not a matter of what people think about me. I am here to serve other people. I encourage you when we come together as a church that we come not to be served, but to serve one another. Now, when we come together, we come to make much of Him. We come together to present ourselves as a living stone building up the church. I think Peter would tell us, you're coming for one or two reasons. Either you're coming to be used by God to build up His kingdom, or you will come to be used to hinder the kingdom. Why'd you come this morning? Would you bow your heads with me?